0: What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? It's something. Maybe maybe it's a vacation. You're waiting on the the chance to get away after maybe a school year or or some upcoming event. Maybe Maybe you're waiting on that that promotion at work, or or the fruition of some hoped-for opportunity that's out there. Maybe for an important project to finally come to an end. Maybe you're in the midst of of waiting on medical results of some kind, some kind of test for yourself, or, or maybe for a loved one. Maybe it's a phone call that you're waiting on. Maybe a, an email you keep checking your inbox to see if it's arrived. Maybe it's a, a text message. What are you waiting on? And what are you experiencing as you wait? Is it, uh, joyful Anticipation? or fear and doubt, or, or something on that spectrum in between. This morning, our, our passage, it has something to say to us about waiting, about the joyful anticipation and about fear and doubt, about what we experience in the midst of all of that. And what we are to do with it. Because our story, it is a story about these early followers who are waiting. They're waiting to figure out what happens after Jesus, their teacher, their leader, has has been crucified. It's about the fear and the doubt that are, are part of figuring out what that even means. And we're going to read Luke's account of the Ascension today. It's an event that's celebrated every year in the liturgical season. This last Thursday was officially the Feast of Ascension, celebrating Jesus' ascension into heaven after the resurrection. But before we do that, I, I want to set it up just a little bit because... You know, reading Scripture is challenging. You know, it's a lot like you're, you're walking into the middle of a movie. And, and unless you start with Genesis chapter 1, no matter where you jump into Scripture, there's always something that happened before that's informing what you're reading now. One of the dangerous things that we can do with Scripture is, is simply pluck words off of the page as if they were meant to stand alone. We've all seen this done. Perhaps we've even done this in some context or another. Scripture doled out like some sort of fortune cookie wisdom. And, and I get why it happens. <clears throat> and it can be harmless, maybe even helpful. But it can also be really hurtful. Scripture is weaponized in this way, and perhaps you've experienced that. Scripture used as a hammer. And so this can make, this truth can make diving into Scripture an intimidating task. But but rather than be intimidated, I I want it to allow us, I want it to be an invitation to approach Scripture open-handedly with humility. Because ultimately, it is the depth and complexity of Scripture that It makes it such a gift to us. And so as we prepare to read today, I'm not going to go all the way back to Genesis 1. But I do want to say a few things about the preceding verses in chapter 24. We find ourselves today in in the last chapter of Luke, and and you can feel free to open there now, and and I'm going to say a few words about it. Most of the time, this final chapter of Luke's gospel is is broken up into a few distinct episodes that that may sound familiar to you, but when we we do that, I think often we fail to recognize that all of these events, as, as the gospel writer tells them, happen in a very condensed timeline, perhaps even within a 24-hour cycle or or maybe two days. And we don't need to get too wrapped around the axle on whether it was 24 or 48 hours. The point is, there's not a whole lot of time. There's not a whole lot of water under the bridge for these followers in, in digesting and processing all of these significant events that are going on here in Luke's final chapter. And that is on top of a week that for them has already been full of change. Just a week prior, these, these followers had entered into Jerusalem with Jesus, their teacher. And Jesus is celebrated as the Messiah, a, a title that's, that is full of all kinds of complicated meaning. And, and in, in many ways, they understood it would, this would be the person to deliver them from Roman occupation, that this would be the person that would bring freedom to their homeland. And then, in short order, Jesus is arrested, tried, and killed, and he is dead. And then, maybe he's not, which brings us right to chapter 24, And in chapter 24, the very first thing that happens is that that women find the tomb empty. They encounter the empty tomb. They're trying to figure out what that means because, remember, the first thing that we think when we go to visit the cemetery is not resurrection. And so they don't understand what this empty tomb means. They're trying to figure out and then are frightened by messengers that appear to them. These women are fearful They're given the news that Jesus is alive again, and they so they go to report that, to tell that to their friends. And these friends, these other followers, they doubt. We read that they don't believe these women. Peter, we read at the very least, is motivated to go down and see for himself. And Peter goes and he he sees the empty tomb the Gospel writer records that Peter walks away wondering what has happened, which is a really nice way of saying, not believing Christ has risen. Then that same day, that very same day, there are a couple of guys that are on their way from to Jerusalem to Emmaus, and these two were followers of Jesus. It's about a seven-mile trip. And we read that Jesus suddenly begins walking with them and and they don't recognize him. And they're in the midst of talking about these events of the last week, these events that I've just shared with you. And, And it says that their faces are downcast. They actually mention the empty tomb, but they're still not talking about the empty tomb in terms of resurrection. They are experiencing fear and doubt. It's not until... Later in the story, until Jesus reveals himself to them that they understand what is going on. And when they do, when they do experience Jesus, they get so excited that they they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem, seven miles, to tell the other followers, the women, all those who have gathered together what has happened. And when they arrive... Telling them what has happened, Jesus suddenly appears among them. And then what happens? Here they are, the women who've told them about the empty tomb, the two travelers who've just told them their story. Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. And rather than respond in joy, the disciples are startled and frightened. Jesus might as well have appeared and said, Boo! More fear and doubt. And I don't say this to criticize or, or to pick on these, these disciples, these early followers. I, I actually bring it up as a means of encouragement to say that in the midst of our own fear and doubt, in whatever you are waiting on, and whatever we are waiting on, we're in good company. It's not until Jesus sits with them, explains what is happening, he shares a meal with them, and their eyes are finally opened. They have this experience with the risen Jesus. And this is where we pick up today. This is where we pick up today. In this room with the two travelers from Emmaus, the women, the disciples, and their companions who have finally had an experience that opens their eyes to who Jesus is. Beginning at verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, "'These are my words that I spoke to you "'while I was still with you, "'that everything written about me in the law of Moses, "'the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled.' Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think our scripture for today confirms... What many of us perhaps already intuitively know, that, that most of life is lived in the space in between these significant events, moving from, from point to point. The entire gospel has been building to this crescendo, right? These followers finally know who Jesus is, and what does Jesus tell them to do? Stay right here and wait. 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 They're told to wait with this incredible news. Now, waiting for us does not always mean holding on to something good. A lot of times we're holding on to something messy, something uncomfortable, waiting on those test results. To come waiting on the email response or the the text response. If you're if you're an iPhone user, you're waiting on those blue dots. You know the response is coming. Sometimes it's trivial waiting. Waiting on the server at the restaurant to bring the check. This is embarrassingly trivial, and I am horribly impatient in these moments. Amy will tell you I am a useless conversation partner once I've decided that the meal is done and we need the check. I sit there simply looking around making or trying to make eye contact with the server to let them know I'm done. Sometimes the waiting hurts. How about waiting for the reconciliation of a relationship. The rebirth or or reconciliation of a relationship often involves pain and suffering, fear and doubt. The reconciliation of relationship often means a willingness to sit in it, to have the hard conversations and then letting them sit and coming back to it and allowing it to breathe. Friends, what are those relationships that that maybe you have given up on? That you've just not been willing to let sit to have the conversation or or you've had that initial conversation and became frustrated that the initial attempt was in your mind unsuccessful because it didn't lead to immediate reconciliation? Being faithful in relationship can, can be a call to simply wait to sit in the the in between the the place in between broken and repaired but this is but this is so often where life is lived right in between I want you to think for a moment about your own journeys. Any anytime we hit one of life's major milestones, it's almost always followed up by a question about, well, what's the next one? Our happy land kindergartners graduated or will graduate this week. We celebrated them today and and you know those parents are asking each other, so where is your child going to elementary school, to first grade next? Once you graduate from high school, the question comes, well, where are you going to college? And once you've decided on a school, where well, what are you going to study? And once you finish that, well, where are you going to work? And once you've started working, are you dating anyone? And if you are dating, when are you going to marry? And once you've married, when are you having children? Now, the way to stop that, Amy and I have discovered, is by having four children in rapid succession. No one asks when you're having more children after that. We often believe that once we know the answer to to what is next, once we arrive at that next milestone, that it will bring some illusory satisfaction. What we find out again and again is it's just that, illusory? In our text today, these followers are, they're in between. They're in between what was and what is next. They were followers of Jesus. He was arrested, tortured, crucified, resurrected. Convinces them all of that fact and then says, wait. 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 And yet this time there is something different about the waiting. Listen to verses 52 and 53 again. These followers are called to wait and it says they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. So what allows their waiting to be different this time? How is it that we can seek to wait with this kind of joy? Have you ever heard of miracle fruit? The species name for this, and pardon me if I, if I butcher this, is Cincipalum dulcificum. And and miracle fruit has the effect that that once you eat it, if you were to hold it in your mouth for a short period of time and then taste something sour, it tastes exceptionally sweet to you. There is this glycoprotein called miraculin that exists within miracle fruit that, that binds to very specific sweet receptors. And these sweet receptors are only activated when in the presence of an acid present in sour food. And so this food that you eat that is still the same food before you ate the miracle fruit now tastes sweet. The way you experience and interact with this still sour food is transformed the disciples the disciples have had, had this interaction with Jesus Christ that transforms how they experience waiting Friends, have you had an experience with Jesus Christ like this? An experience that transforms the way that you interact with others, that transforms the way that you experience the rest of life. If you haven't, we want to help you do that here. Because, friends, what Jesus Christ offers is is not a a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not an escape from this world. But rather, what Jesus Christ offers is to transform the way that you experience everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.